0: The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. This morning I want to go back to our series on David, a man after God's own heart. We talked about some of his characteristics in two messages recently. This morning I want to go to, into the Word and talk about the anointing of a new king. The anointing of a new king. And to do this, we want to uh, maybe cover some ground that we've covered before a little bit in our overview about David. But, uh, but I also want to go into more depth and detail about it and also to contrast David with the, the other king. There, you know, there were only, I, I'll never forget this because there was some kind of Scholars Bowl tournament or something when I was in high school. And the question was... Uh, Asked uh, how many kings of Israel were there? And of course, you think about all the kings. But talking about the United Kingdom of Israel, there were only three kings. It was Saul, David, and Solomon. After Solomon, the kingdom split into two. The northern kingdom called Israel and the southern kingdom called Judah. But there were only ever three kings of the United Kingdom of Israel. And Saul was the first king. And so this morning, I want us to Talk about how when David came um, onto the scene, onto the stage of history, and, and was anointed king, we want to talk about the anointing of this new king. But in order to do that, I want us to contrast it with the anointing of Saul as king. And, and so this morning, I want us to look at that. Uh, you know, the history here, at the point where uh, we are in 1 Samuel. Uh, in the uh, 16th chapter uh, we are beginning to see that Samuel the prophet is in his uh, decline if you will as an authority in in Israel and that at the time that we are here uh, Israel has asked for a king and Saul has been set up as king and as we'll see in the message this morning There came a time when God said, I've rejected Saul as being king, and I am about to send you, Samuel, to anoint a new king. And so in 1 Samuel 16, and verse 1, we read this, And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thine horn with oil and go and I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite for I have provided me a king among his sons. And this is the time when we see David first come on the scene as we've already talked about. David, this this man who we're told was after God's own heart. You know, I I think a man after God's own heart is worth studying, don't you? Now he's not Christ. Christ is the standard. Christ is the ruler that we measure ourselves by. But David is a man who is called a man after God's own heart. And that's why, you know, there's more written about David than just about anyone else in the Bible Uh, in the Old Testament for certain. David, I I don't have the figures before me as I did when we were preaching on this. But there are there are so many times that David's name is mentioned throughout the Old and New Testament as compared to everybody else. David was a man after God's own heart. And now the time came where God said, I want another king and I'm sending you to to uh, to anoint him. So I want to talk about this morning, anointing the anointing of a king. Now, first of all, I want you to look at Saul's and David's selection as king, their selection as king. In 1 Samuel, chapter seven, we read in verse 15 and Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. And he went from year to year in circuit to Bethel and to Gilgal and Mizpeh, and judged Israel in all those places. And his return was to Ramah, for there was his house. And there he judged Israel, and there he built an altar unto the Lord. Now this is the prelude to the kingdom of Israel. And and you'll recall we don't have time to go through it this morning, but you'll recall that throughout the history of Israel, uh, God had led them by uh, either someone who was a priest or a prophet or a judge through the book of Judges. And a judge wasn't like what we think of someone in a black robe sitting up there on a bench today. He was a leader. He was one who came in and he judged between right and wrong, and he judged between truth and and justice and 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 wickedness, and and he would go out and lead them in battle. to to deliver them from the oppression that they faced. Samuel was the last of the judges and the first of the prophets. That's a good transition to remember. Samuel was the last of the judges and the first of the prophets. And after Samuel... Uh, for, many, for about 490 years or so, uh, after Samuel, there were kings in Israel and kings in Judah. And leading up to the time when Christ came, uh, which um, Christ now sits on the throne of his father David. He is ruling and reigning today in a spiritual sense. But at this time, God was leading the nation of Israel unlike any other nation around. But we see when it came time for Saul to be selected as king, that Saul's reign was initiated by man. Saul's reign was initiated by man. Look at chapter 8 now. You know, everything's going pretty good in chapter 7. But in chapter 8, sin always enters the picture and always causes problems. In verse 1 it says, "...and it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel." And he tells us their names in verse 2. And in verse 3 he says, And his sons walked not in his ways, but turned aside after lucre and took bribes and perverted judgment. Sin always causes problems, doesn't it? So, what is the response to this? What, what do we do in this situation? Well, in the past, and what God has said to do, is you fix the problem. You go in and you, make, you repent, you make changes. Uh, you know, when Eli had this problem, God removed Eli and raised up Samuel. You know, they could, the, the, they could have trusted God in Israel to take care of them under the old way of doing things, the way that God had set up from the beginning. But notice in verse 4 what happened. Then all the elders of Israel gathered themselves together and came to Samuel unto Ramah and said unto him, Behold, thou art old, and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. All the, like all the nations. Notice the, the problem here. The problem is they didn't go back to the law. They didn't go back to, the, uh, to the, even the his, historical record. Uh, you know, we're told in the, in the Word of God in First uh, Corinthians chapter 10, and I believe it's verse 12, that all the things that happened in the Old Testament were given to us for examples. Well, guess what? The things that were happening in the Old Testament should have been examples to those who lived in Old Testament times. But they said, no, we don't like the way it's going. We're not satisfied with what God set up. You make us a king because we want to be like the nations. But the problem is, child of God, Israel, the kingdom of God, the people of God were not to be like all the other nations. Back over in Exodus, the 19th chapter, in verse 3, this is what Moses told uh, the children of Israel, or what God told Moses, I'm sorry, to tell the children of Israel. In verse 3, it says, Moses went up unto God. Exodus chapter 19, and verse 3, Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob and tell the children of Israel, ye have seen what I did under the Egyptians and how I bare you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. They didn't have a king then. They had Moses, but he wasn't their king. He was, he was of the priestly line. He says, now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people. For all the earth is mine. And this is the way it was supposed to be for the nation of Israel in verse 6. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and an holy nation. You see, they were to be a kingdom of priests. They didn't need a king. They just were to be priests unto God. That is, each man was to look to God for guidance and to to follow His law. And you didn't need a king to do that. Over in uh, the 33rd chapter, of uh, Exodus. He, he continues along this line in verse 15. He says, and he said unto him, uh, let's see verse 16. He says, for wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight. This is Moses talking to the Lord. Is it not in that thou goest with us? So shall we be separated. I and thy people from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. Anytime God's children decide they want to be like the world, <laughs> They want to be like the nations. There's a problem. He says here, the way that you'll know, the way we'll know that you're with us, the way others will know, wherein shall it be known that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? It's that you are going with us, God, and we'll be separated and we'll be your people separate from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. You know, that applies today. (laughs) That applies to us today. There should be a difference in us And the world. There should be a difference in the way we live and the way the world lives. There should be a difference in the way we worship and the way the world worships. There should be a difference in what we believe and what the world believes, you see. There should be a difference. But they said, we want to be like the nations. Uh, Over in uh, Leviticus chapter 20 and verse 26, I like this. Just a quick verse here it says, And ye shall be holy unto me, God says. Why? For I, the Lord, am holy, and have severed you from other people that ye should be mine. I like that. We are God's peculiar treasure. The church, particularly today, ought to be is, is God's peculiar treasure. It's it's uh, the way that he, the place He has established to put His name in the Old Testament times. It was the nation of Israel. Today, it's the church. It ought to be God's peculiar treasure. But they said. We want to be like the nations. We want to like be, be like them. And back over in 1 Samuel chapter 8, and verse 6, notice what it says. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. Now, let me just say this, too. I'm thankful that what we've had here in this congregation, in this church, has been... You know, I can't think of a time that... Uh, that something some action has been taken by the congregation that has displeased me you know or has uh, or things that have happened I mean, there's things we all do every day that displease the lord but there's nothing that um, you know that has caused grief to me as pastor you know that's a you know we're told and it's over in the book of hebrews he talks about the pastors watching for your souls and it says uh, it says uh, uh basically pay attention uh give heed to them that have the rule over you that's the Elders and the bishops, the pastors, that have the rule over the congregation, not in a tyrant way, but in a spiritual sense, that uh, that it's my job to stand here and to preach you uh, the word of God and what it says, and it says, give heed to that person who has the rule over you, because he says, for they watch for your souls that he may give account of it with joy and not with grief. Now, now the point here is, is that, is that. When I preach and you listen and it's from the Word of God, and it's not just my opinion, it's something from the Word of God, that gives me joy. When I preach it from the Word of God and you don't listen, uh, and, 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 and uh, sometimes, and we've had, we've had it happen where it becomes so egregious and open that, that it's something that, that I, I, I'm, my heart breaks and I have to deal with that. There are situations I've run across in my ministry where I remain heartbroken today. And I remain grieving over it, you see. And what he's saying is here, (laughs) he's saying, listen to that person. Listen to the word of God. Listen to the man who's preaching you the truth. Because if you don't, it causes problems. And it says, this displeased Samuel. But notice what he didn't do. He didn't get up and start browbeating the congregation, did he? No, the first thing he did. Eventually, you know, if something were to get so out of whack in this church... That um, that is clearly um, opposed to the things of the Word of God, I'd have a duty to preach about it. I'd have a duty to come to you about it or talk to you about it. I'd have a duty as pastor to deal with it in some way, to preach about it. But you notice what Samuel did? He didn't go running immediately and say, whoa, I'm mad and I want to tell you about it. <laughs> no, the first thing he did is it displeased him, but Samuel prayed yeah. unto the Lord. Let me tell you something, you young men, any of you young men that may have a call to preach one day. If you're not availing yourselves of prayer, if you're not availing yourselves and engaging in prayer on a daily basis, fervently praying to God, then you're going to have problems in your ministry. You know, when I have the most problems as pastor and preacher it's when I forget to pray. You say, you forget to pray? I'm sorry. I confess to you, it happens. You know why? Because I'm Adam multiplied. I'm a sinner. I have great intentions, brother Chuck. I lay down at night and I'm gonna pray. And I think sometimes I pray all night because I go to sleep praying and I wake up praying. <laughs> I just can't remember when I quit praying. I can't remember when because I, I hit the I hit the pillow and I, I'm gonna, Now I'm gonna pray. I'm fine. I'm gonna pray. And next thing you know, I'm snoring away. You know. See, I'm weak. I'm weak, but Samuel was weak, but he was he understood that prayer was where his strength lay. And he goes to the Lord and the Lord tells Samuel, he says, hearken unto the voice of the people and all that they say unto thee, for they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me that I should not reign over them. Now that's another thing that I want to say to you about preaching. If if a man is truly called of God and is preaching the Word of God, and the people don't listen to that, sometimes the man gets mad. Now, I I I'm a man, and we all get. You know, we all have our own passions and our own particular weaknesses and that sort of thing. And and so I've seen preachers get mad. I'm sure there's something that could be done that I would get mad. And there are times when I may have I've gotten frustrated before and all this. But uh, but I want to say to you that uh, any other any preacher that understands the Word of God, they must understand that when people reject His preaching, they're not rejecting Him. They're rejecting the Word of God. Amen. I didn't come up with this. <laughs> I didn't come up with this. I didn't. I didn't sit down and write the ten suggestions. I mean, commandments. Is that what they are today? Ten suggestions. That's what people think, anyway. They're ten commandments, though. So. <laughs> they're ten commandments. I didn't write them down as ten. I didn't write those down. God did. If you violate one, you're not. You're not really. It's. I'm not. I may take it personally. I may get upset about it. I may be frustrated. I may be heartbroken over it. But it's really rejecting God. And that's what God's telling Samuel here. He said, Listen, they're rejecting me, not you. And you know, which brings us to that point that I always try to remind you and me of, especially me, is that it ain't about us. (laughs) It ain't about you and it ain't about me. It's about God. You see, we're not here this morning about us. If this was about me, I'd I'd probably, you know, go down to the pond or the river somewhere and be fishing. You know, if this was all about me and what I want to do, there's a lot of things I could be doing that would uh, be pleasing to the flesh. But this is about God and this is about serving him, you see. So God says, I'm not pleased. This is a rejection of me. And then in verses eight through 18, Samuel describes the kingship to him. And we won't read it all. But notice that some of the points here, it says this in verse 11, he says, okay, you want a king? Let me tell you about your king. This will be the manner of the king that shall reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for himself, for his chariots, and to be his horsemen, and some shall run before his chariots. And he'll point captains over thousands and captains over fifties. And he talks about reaping their, his harvest, and, and he'll, he'll bring some in to be cooks. And in verse 14, he'll take your fields and your vineyards and the best of them and give them to his servants. He goes on to tell them all the things that will happen. In verse 18, he says, And ye shall cry out in that day because of your king, which ye shall have chosen you. And the Lord will not hear you in that day. Now keep that thought. We, we're going to come back to it in this series. Because you're going to see, and we may even mention it this morning, that there's going to be a time in the life, particularly of Saul, when God will not hear him. Now that doesn't mean Saul's going to hell. That just means Saul is living in hell here because of his own actions just remember there's a time you can go so far away from god that god will not hear you when you're when you pray you say wait a minute i thought he always hears us in repentance yes he does in repentance he hears you in repentance he hears you but when you're out there on your own trying to make your own way and going diametrically opposed to the word of god you know isaiah says seek you the lord while he may be found which tells us there's a time when the lord may not be found by you (laughs) by you and I because he's leaving us to suffer the consequences of our own actions but file that away for a little bit later in, in the message it says you shall cry out because of the king which you have chosen you you know basically what God is saying here to him in verse 19 uh down in, he, he, he said, nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. and They said, nay, but we will have a king over us that we also may be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And Samuel heard the words of the people and rehearsed them in the ears of the Lord. Not that the Lord needed to know because he knows everything. But he, Samuel is talking to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, hearken unto their voice and make them a king. And Samuel said unto the men of Israel, go ye every man unto his city. You know what God's saying here? God's saying, you want a king? I'll give you a king. I'll give you a king. Be careful what you ask for. (laughs) Be careful what you ask for, child of God. Uh, Over in Hosea, the 13th chapter, the prophet Hosea is talking about some other problems in the nation of Israel. But he comes down to uh, the the ninth verse of the 13th chapter, and he rehearses in their hearing basically a recap of what happened here in 1 Samuel chapter 8. And he says in verse 9, O Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself, but in me is thine help. Now, this is not the same situation. There's other things that are going on here in this time, and it's a different era. But it's basically Israel being disobedient again. It says, in me is thine help. I will be thy king. Where is any other that may save thee in all thy cities and thy thy judges of whom thou saidest, Give me a king and princes. He's pointing them back to that time. You remember the time, Israel, when you were in trouble before? And instead of coming to me as your king, you went to your judges, Samuel, in that day and said, I want a king. And so look at what God says he he did in verse 11. I gave thee a king in mine anger (laughs) and took him away in my wrath when men appoint a king to be like the nations god often will send you your request but send leanness into your soul as he tells us in the 106 psalm see that's what happened here see saul's reign was initiated by man but now before we keep going down this path, let's let's switch gears and let's look over at the reign of David. David's reign, on the other hand, was initiated by God. Remember what we read in 1 Samuel 16 and verse 1, the very last phrase, he says, for I have provided me a king among his sons. That's what God says he was doing. Now you got your own king. You, you asked for a king. I gave you a king in my anger. I took him away in my wrath. But now uh, Israel, he says to Samuel, I have provided me a king among the sons of Jesse. And Samuel said in verse 2, in verse Samuel chapter 16, how can I go? So if Saul hear it, he will kill me. The Lord said, take an heifer with thee and say, I'm come to sacrifice to the Lord. And call Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show thee what thou shalt do, and thou shalt anoint unto me. Him whom I name unto thee. Now, uh, don't don't misunderstand me. If you read the account of Saul's selection, God directed Samuel to Saul. He led him there. But the problem with Saul was is that the children of God in that day were wanting Saul of their own volition so they could be like the nations. And now God says, okay, you see how what a debacle that has been. <laughs> and we're going to talk about that in a minute. Now, we're going to see... What happens when I do it? He says, I, he said, thou shalt anoint unto me him whom I name unto thee. Samuel's anointing of David was initiated by God. Now, you think about it. We, we won't belabor this because we covered it a couple of weeks ago. But you think about how, you know, Samuel had selected Saul. And you remember the story, you know, in, in the uh uh, when, they, when they first picked out Saul, when he first saw Saul, he was, a, he was the goodliest person. He was the, he was the most handsome guy around. And he stood from head and shoulders. He was taller than everybody else around. I'm telling you, he was, you know, I, I, y'all laugh at me about my Arnold Schwarzenegger example all the time. But he was an Arnold among men back then, let me tell you. He was standing up there. He had been pumping iron. He was all built up. He looked good. He looked like a king. And that's what men. Uh, that's probably, I'm sure, that's what Samuel had in his mind as he goes down there. And we talked about it a couple of weeks ago. This preconceived notion that he had. He goes down there, and and it came to pass in verse six when they were come that he looked upon Eliab and said, "Surely the Lord's anointed is before him." He was the oldest. He was uh, he was the biggest. He was the largest. We see he's, a, he's an outgoing guy. As we read about him uh, later on, he was uh, pro- he was clearly king material. <laughs> But look at verse 7. And we've talked about this, as I said, but we need to revisit it today. But the Lord said unto Samuel, look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Which brings us to our first principle of God's anointing versus man's choice. It is not physical appearance that matters, but spiritual attitude. It's not physical appearance that controls. God zeroes in on the heart. Uh, he told one of the kings over in 2 Chronicles 16 and verse 9, he said, The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show Himself strong in behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him that doesn't mean sinlessly perfect but it means mature it means someone who is seeking to be like God he calls David a man after God's own heart now at the very least I don't know what all that means but at the very least it means that we love what God loves <laughs> that we want what God wants that we uh, we're seeking what God seeks. if you're after if, you, if your hearts are in in, uh, in line with each other if your hearts are together that means you lo- like the same things you love the same things and you want to be in the same places. It's not physical appearance that matters, but spiritual attitude. <laughs> you know, that's something that when the time comes someday, when we, which we I don't feel any need or, or uh, impression toward that right now, but someday if we ever decide to ordain a deacon, say, oh boy, he's a great businessman. He'll be a good deacon. <laughs> Is that what God cares about? Is that what he, Let's look over in Acts chapter 6 for just a minute and see what God cares about when it comes to deacons. And by the way, don't be clamoring too hard, don't be campaigning too hard to be a deacon. Cuz you know what a deacon means? It means a servant. It means a servant. That's what a deacon is. A deacon is a servant. So, chapter 6, when it came time to uh, of Acts when it came time to set up deacons in verse 3, he says, uh, Peter says, Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. Did he say anything about, oh, man, he's run a business for years. <laughs> he's done great. He's, he did great in the stock market. <laughs> he knows how to play it. He, no, he says, you've got to be, first of all, honest honest and secondly full of the holy ghost and wisdom that means sounds a little bit like a heart like god's doesn't it sounds a lot like a man after god's own heart doesn't it that's what god is looking for he doesn't care about how you look or what your portfolio looks like he cares about where your heart is none of the brothers of david met this criteria It's not physical appearance, but spiritual attitude. And it's also not a strong spirit that matters, I've heard it said, but a servant heart. Say, well, Saul had a strong spirit, and we see where that got him. But David was a true servant. You continue reading in the 16th chapter, and we mentioned this last time we were talking about him, that in verse 21 through 23, we're told David came to Saul after having been anointed king. Don't forget that. He's already been anointed king. He is the king of Israel today as we read this. He is the king on this day in the mind of God. And yet David came to Saul and stood before him and he loved him greatly and he became his armor bearer. (laughs) And we continue to see that he played with his heart when Saul had problems. You know, God says, David is my servant. You look in Psalm 89 and verse 20 sometime. He said, I have found David my servant. (laughs) And with my holy oil have I anointed him. In Matthew chapter uh, 25, I believe it is. Matthew chapter 20, I'm sorry. Chapter 20 and verse 25. Jesus gives us the recipe for greatness in the kingdom of God. Verse 25 of Matthew 20, But Jesus called them unto him and said, You know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. Yeah, that's the way it is in the world today, isn't it? told you before, it's like a pyramid. The higher you are on that pyramid, the more people are below you, the greater you are in the world. And when you get to the top of the pyramid, when you reach the top of the pile, as we say sometimes, you have really made it, right? In the world, that's the way they count it. God takes that and just completely completely turns it upside down. So in the kingdom of God, the pyramid is, 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 as we say, bottom upwards. (laughs) The bottom is on top, you see. The more people you are serving, the greater you are. Look at what he says. But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister or your servant. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Why? Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give his life a ransom for many. You see, it's, it's not a strong spirit. It's not some, you know, Saul was strong in spirit. You know, we like to see strong-spirited people that, that go out and pull themselves up by the bootstraps and make their way in this world and are successes in the world. That's not what God's looking for. He's looking for a servant heart. He's looking for a servant heart. And something else that's interesting here that you find, and you see it often in the kingdom of God. It's not public favor that matters, but private faithfulness, private faithfulness. You know, your public resume does not matter when it comes to the kingdom of God. You could have been the president of the United States of America and yet be not unfit for service in the kingdom of God. In fact, I dare say most of our presidents (laughs) would have been unfit for service in one of God's little local churches in the kingdom of God. (laughs) It's not your public resume that matters. He found Moses in the desert. He found Joseph in prison. He found David over on the hillsides of Bethlehem shepherding those smelly old sheep. In the parable of the talent when it came time to, uh, to praise the ones that had invested those little small talents that had been given to him, he said, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. You know, that's the way it's supposed to be in the kingdom of God. And that was the difference between Saul and David. Their selection as king, Saul was the choice of Man. David was the choice of God. Now, quickly, as we try to bring this to a close, I want to look at their direction as a king. Their direction as king. Saul's reign was primarily directed by man. It started off rather interestingly, you know, and we're not, <laughs> turn back sometime and read the ninth chapter, the ninth chapter of 1 the, the Samuel. We won't go there today. We may cover it sometime during this, uh, during this series on David. But you could not have asked for a finer specimen of king, as I've already said. In the ninth chapter, in the first verse, we read that, uh, uh, that uh, there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish... He goes on to say he, he was a mighty man of power. In verse 2, he had a son whose name was Saul, a choice young man and a goodly. And there was not among the children of Israel a goodlier person than he. Nobody, there was nobody more handsome than him, you see. From his shoulders and upward, he was higher than any of the people. started off kind of interestingly. And the rest of this chapter is not about Saul reigning and ruling over anybody or anything like that. It's about him seeking to find his father's asses that had been lost. He had lost, his father's uh, donkeys had run away, and he's out he there seeking them and looking for them, and he ends up finding himself anointed as king in chapter 10 and verse 1. <laughs> Interesting story. And then in verse 21 of chapter 10, it's sort of a harbinger of what's to come. It's, it's rather ominous, uh, really. It says in verse 21, when he had caused, Samuel had caused the children of the tribe of Benjamin to come near, and it, it, he's, he's telling them, I'm fixing to show you who your king is. It says, and Saul the son of Kish was taken. And at the end of that verse, when they sought him, he could not be found. When it was time for him to become king, he couldn't be found. Why is that? He wasn't out on the hillside <laughs> shepherding sheep. It says, therefore they inquired of the Lord further, if the man should yet come hither. And the Lord answered, behold... He hath hid himself among the stuff. (laughs) He hath hid himself among the stuff. It's almost like God's telling us here that Saul's getting cold feet. (laughs) Cold feet. Or or maybe he's just distracted. I want to say this to you. That's the whole message in that. We sometimes hide ourselves among the stuff of this world, don't we? (laughs) And we're not really available when God is ready for us to serve. And that's the way it was with Saul. If you continue reading, most of his entire reign, the entire reign of Saul Mm -hmm. was a study in impatience and walking by sight. In chapter 13, because of walking by sight and not waiting, not being patient and waiting on Samuel, Saul's lineage has ended. The lineage of the kingship has ended with him. In chapter fifteen, because of the debacle of the Amalekites and the disobedience of Saul, his kingship is ended, and God says, I'm going to get me another king. And if you continue reading, and we will at some point get to chapter 28 and 31, you'll read that because Saul went to a witch or a wizard to seek necromancy instead of seeking counsel at God, his life was ended. His reign was more carnal than spiritual. He made bad decisions, unwise decisions, until finally God would not answer him at all. Look, look at this right here in chapter 16 again. And look at particularly at verse 14. After we read about, after we read about David's uh, anointing, in verse 13 it says, Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. Now I want you to see the contrast between 13 and 14. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. But look at verse 14. But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. Now, let me just say this. not to, uh, uh don't have time this morning to go into the deeper theological ramifications of this, but the bottom line is we know that the Spirit of God will not ever be fully and finally taken away from any child of God in the sense that they'll be abandoned to hell one day. But I will tell you this. Depending on your actions in this world, the guiding Spirit of God and the fellowship with God that you ought to have as a child of God can be ended. Samson woke up one morning and he wished not that the Spirit of God had departed from him. He was still a child of God, but oh, he was a wandering, lost child of God in this world with no guidance. Look at the difference. The Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. And we read ultimately that when Saul inquired of the Lord in chapter 28 before the battle that ended his life it said the Lord answered him not neither by dreams nor by Urim nor by prophets. What a sad state for a child of God to get in. But David's reign was primarily directed by God. Saul's reign was primarily directed by man. David's reign was primarily directed by by God and one of the first things we see that shows this to us is is, is the rest of this story you know if we wrote the book we would say in any this is why this is one reason you know this is not fiction <laughs> this is truth man wouldn't write a story like this if we wrote this story we'd say and Samuel took David down to Jerusalem and a, and presented him to the people and he ascended the throne and deposed Saul and they lived happily ever after You know, that's not what happened at all. If you continue reading and you go to the 2 Samuel chapter 5, we're not going to go there this morning for lack of time. Go there sometime in the the first five verses of 2 Samuel chapter 5. You're going to see that it was at least 14 or 15 years later when he was 30 years old that David finally became acknowledged as king before the people. But you notice what happened. The Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. His reign was more spiritual than carnal. You know, I wonder, did it manifest itself in some of the songs that he wrote? I'm sure it did. I know that was of the Spirit of the Lord. Did it manifest itself in maybe just some of the songs that he played and sang that we don't even have a record of? Maybe all of the above, his actions? Their direction as king was so different. Saul's reign was primarily directed by the carnal, by man. And David's reign was primarily directed by God. So what are the lessons for us? Well, let me just quickly, and I know our time has gone, let me share this with you to give you a little hope. Because I know in my own life, I've gotten off track before. I've gotten off what I believe the, the pathway that God would have had me to be on. And sometimes we have this idea that there's one pathway, and that's it. And when you miss the boat, you're forever stuck on some side street dead end. But that's not the case. Look with me back over to 1 Samuel chapter 12, right quick. And I know our time is up, but we need to get this before we go. Chapter 12 and verse 6. Samuel said unto the people, It is the Lord that advanced Moses and Aaron that brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. Now therefore stand still that I may reason with you before the Lord of all the righteous acts of the Lord, which he did to you and to your fathers. And and when Jacob was come into Egypt, your fathers cried unto the Lord. Then the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, which brought forth your fathers out of Egypt. And he goes on to talk about how that uh, God has been providing for you, and yet now you have rejected him, and he's, he's basically calling them to account. He's saying you're wrong for asking for a king. In verse 13 though, he says, uh, no, verse 20, the people, the people said, after he, he called into account, the people said, we're so sorry we did this. I'm sorry. You know, they said, uh, said just uh, pray for us that we die not, for we've had added to all our sins this evil to ask us a king. But look at verse 20. Samuel said to the people, fear not. Fear not. You have done all this wickedness. Yet turn not aside from following the Lord. But serve the Lord with your heart, all your heart, and turn you not aside, for then should you go after vain things which cannot profit. In verse 22, For the Lord will not forsake His people for His great name's sake, because it hath pleased the Lord to make you His people. And he says in verse 23, Moreover, as for me, God forbid, that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. But I will teach you the good and the right way. Notice, God is faithful to forgive us even when our rebellion sets us on the wrong path. Secondly, God expects us to serve Him where we are. He expected Moses to serve Him in the wilderness. He expected Joseph to serve Him in prison. He expected David to serve Him in the sheepfold. In Psalm 78 and verse 70, we read, He chose David also His servant and took him from the sheepfolds from following the ewes, great with young, he brought him to feed Jacob his people and Israel in his inheritance. So he fed them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. David, when you're in the sheep field, serve the sheep, shepherd them. Wherever you are, you should serve God. And finally, God will get us where we need to be in his time if we are serving him. Remember what Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 9 says, A man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. That not That's not absolute predestination of all things, but that's telling us this. If your motor is running for God, if you're doing what God would have you to do, God will lead you. God will guide you. He said, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Now, the steps of a wicked man aren't, but the steps of a good man who's seeking to serve God. David's motor was running for God. And we're going to see as we continue this study that God put him in the right place to train him to be the ruler of Israel. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.